This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Once again, a conversation we look forward to each and every week. A guy that just puts a smile on your face, by God, and just makes you anticipate the baseball season even more than we already are. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is John Morosi. How are you, my friend? Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, greetings from beautiful Dunedin, Florida, home of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, today's meeting of all the Grapefruit League GMs and managers, so a lot of fun to be down here in the sunshine today. Wow! So, what's bro- do they do that uh, out out in Arizona for for all the teams out there as well? They do. Uh, Cactus League Media Day was was yesterday, and actually, uh, one of the other highlights is the commissioner himself comes in and gives a bit of the State of the Union. So, a lot to talk about the rule changes, and I, I will say this: I am very much enjoying seeing uh, as I travel the baseball country. A lot of different uh, ads there for Julio Rodriguez, who has become uh, the face of the game, as we talked about before. Hey, uh, JP, tell us a little bit, just a little update there on Tim McCarver uh, passing away uh, at age 81. Uh, have you had much interaction? What did, what did he mean to you? Uh, incredibly impactful player and, and broadcaster and, and all-around ambassador for the game. I think uh, Tim, certainly as, as a broadcaster, someone that we really admired his ability to, to explain the game and, and to help us all better understand this, this incredibly complicated and, and unique sport. But more than that, he was just a great, a great teammate and a great colleague. I, I know uh, my friend Ken Rosenthal wrote a beautiful reflection about him all the years that Ken wrote uh, worked at Fox with Tim on, on the broadcast of the World Series and the playoffs. And I, I just think Tim was someone that had a, a joy about him whenever I would see him at the ballpark. Uh, this twinkle in his eye, brilliant storyteller, great voice. And, and just a tremendous passion for the people in the sport. I think that's one of the biggest things. Is he really, truly conveyed his love of the game and the nuance of the game. And he, still, he always saw the game as, as the catcher that he's always been. So I, just, I think that Tim was just a, a tremendous ambassador for the game, and it's just a, it's a profound loss for the sport today. Yeah, he's he's somebody I always liked to, you know, he seemed polarizing and some people for whatever reason really didn't like him. I, I always thought he did a great job and and I I thought it was unfortunate that that one of the highlights when people talk about him is is Dion, you know, dumping water on him in the in the clubhouse because he was critical of him, you know, playing football and baseball on the same day and that that seems to be a story that just has never really gone away for whatever reason, but but uh yeah, you're right. In, in, incredibly sad. Hey, one one of the uh, one of the stories that came out of spring training and everybody's first meeting with the media was Shohei Otani speaking with the media, and of course he was being peppered with questions about you know where where's his future? Is it going to be with the Angels? And he he pretty much evaded. There was no hardcore. Listen, man, I'm an Angel and I want to end my career here. There was none of that. It was very much you know, hey, I'm here right now and uh, my goal is to win, which is the right thing to say. But what what's your level of confidence that he's an Angel at this time next season? Rather low, <laughs> to be honest. I, I, I don't. I really. I don't expect him to to be there. Uh, I, certainly, it's it's possible. It's among the range of options. But for him to be an angel on this date next season, they have to both play well enough in the first half of the season 
to not trade him at the deadline, which is a pretty high bar in when you consider how competitive the American League West is going to be. And then the second part is that once he hits free agency, uh, that that they're going to have the top bid of all the teams out there, which I just don't really think is going to be the case. Aaron Judge is a Yankee today because they're the Yankees and because he's got a chance to win there. And depending on how you look at the actual numbers and, and per year basis, uh, I, he might have been able to get more money from the Giants. He probably could have, but they got really close and it was a massive record-setting deal. I just don't think the Angels are going to be able to present Otani with the best overall situation from the standpoint of the money and the winning and the prestige. There will be teams like the one that plays just uh, up the road there from the Angels, the Dodgers, that can present a much better overall situation. And so, uh, and honestly, there are other teams in the sport, maybe the Mariners are one of them, that that could also do the same thing. So I, I just see the headwinds for the Angels being too significant. Their long-term ballpark future is still a question. Uh, I, I just think that they have a tremendous uphill climb to keep him. And, and if he was really intent on staying there, I believe they would have been able to find out an agreement by now. Hey, JP, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the rule changes, but specifically this week we've kind of fallen on the pitch clock and, you know, what's this going to do for for pitchers? You know, we have a couple here that have some routines that are maybe <laughs> problematic, uh, Paul Sewald and uh, Diego Castillo. But, uh, you, you know, as far as that goes, how much do you think that will – you know, is that going to be something that maybe gets in a pitcher's mind that, or do you think they're going to, they'll have enough time to sort of work that out during spring training? I, I think both is the answer to the question. I think it will certainly on some level get into pitchers' minds, at least some, because pitchers are creatures of habit and they're very particular about their routines. That's always been the way that, that I think pitchers have for a long time in the game made their identity and so now you're changing something that's very integral to how they to how they view themselves, and I, I think it's going to require some some adjusting. And and there will be violations, I'm sure, of the pitch clock early in the season. I expect them to be more uh, more infrequent as the year goes along and as pitchers adjust. But we just saw the news today: uh, Luis Garcia out of out of Astros camp. Uh, we we have all, if you've watched the American League West in recent years, we've all seen the rock the baby pitching yeah. motion that Luis Garcia does. He is he is for that reason. But I, I actually brought my wife to a game at Fenway this year. It just so happened it was a game that Luis was pitching, and she just watched him and said, "I like this guy. This guy's awesome." <laughs> and so there's so as a result, uh, he became her favorite pitcher this past season. So I, I think that and, and Dana Brown, the, the Astros' new GM, said, and I think he's correct on this. You know, we'll lose a little bit of the individuality of of, of what a unique delivery is and, and how uh, how pitchers have to comply with it. But guys, at the end of the day, um, the the larger cause here is that MLB is trying to move the game in a direction that the fans want, which is faster games, um, more balls in play, more action, and that those overriding elements have to supersede the, the the wishes or the routines of any one individual pitcher it's not easy to to say that but that's where we're going this is truly a big picture good for baseball conversation and i i think we'll see some pitchers who struggle to adjust i also think we'll see those and i was talking to chris bassett today in, in blue jays camp and chris said he thought that 
the pitch clock will be less of a factor than some of us think, in part because a lot of pitchers came up through the minor leagues with the current rules in place. And he actually thinks that the, the bigger bases are, are the more significant change. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a really interesting bit of uh, discussion. I think that the best part about the game and, and spring training this year is we're going to get a chance to watch how it plays out and see what, in actuality, are, are the larger and, and more dramatic changes to the sport. Hey, uh, we played a soundbite earlier from Corbin Burns, and he was talking about holding some ill will toward the Brewers for what was said during their arbitration case. And I'm wondering, if is that something that, to your knowledge, happens all the time, or and he's just being public about it, or... You know, because it's it is it does seem like that's a dicey situation. You're you're making a case as an organization as to why this player is not worth the amount that they're asking for, and they're they're on the other side listening to all these reasons. And he even said, you know, that they kind of implied or said, you know, he was part of the reason that they didn't go as far as they thought they should have. And you know, hearing things like that from an organization that you would think would want to keep you around for a period of time. It's just it's it's an interesting dynamic that we don't really hear about. Is that something that's more common? It is common. It happens in every hearing to varying degrees. But the the, the, the ill will part I'm talking about, I guess. Right. Well, the the certainly the 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 critical words and critiques are are an essential part of the process. They sure they are. The, the team is arguing. We don't believe that you're worth what you say you're worth. And and to do that, you have to come up with concrete examples or, or declarative statements that try to impress the arbitrator that they're not worth it. And so uh, I do think there are some players who more easily separate the business from the personal and do not take offense necessarily and, and let it, let it go. There are some, especially, and we have to remember this, these, these are proud players. You don't get to this point of your career if you don't have a level of competitive pride about you. Um, and, and I think that when you talk about someone's quite literally the, a combination of their professionalism, their personal character, and you do it in a, in a negative way, because that's what they're trying to accomplish there is to argue that they deserve less money. Um, I, I'm not sure how you could walk out of that hearing room and not be changed a little bit by the experience. It is a very, very unpleasant experience. There are some teams that routinely will give a little bit of extra money to a player when it comes right down to it, because they don't want to have to go to the room because it's a very unpleasant experience. There was also a move in recent years, and it was part of the negotiations a year ago, to do away with salary arbitration, to, to do away with the whole process and replace it with a, with a very direct, um, very sort of objective, numbers-based, wins above replacement, whatever it would be, that basically your raises every year would be t- tied directly to wins above replacement. I think... That actually makes a ton of sense. It avoids this this negative experience that Corbin Burns had with with the Brewers and uh, many others that we don't hear about publicly. JP, uh, I think uh, my new most interesting Mariner has become Matt Brash. We had somebody on from Driveline that was talking about uh, he had the best slider in Major League Baseball history, maybe uh, – Maybe a little bit of hyperbole there, but uh, you know it's it's interesting what you hear about him, and uh, I th- I just think it, it makes him one of the more interesting players to watch this year for the Mariners. He is, and I think a couple things about him. Number one, you know, last year there was he makes the team and he comes down to the minor leagues, goes back up. There was the back and forth: is he a starter? Is he a reliever? Now he knows exactly what he is. He is a hard throwing, late inning, dominant, 
big-time arm to pair up w- with Munoz at the end of the game. Um, you know, there's a reason why they felt comfortable moving on from Swanson. I think by the end of the year, his command was better. And, and he is someone that his, his pitch grades are so high and so elite that if he's in the zone even a little bit, he's going to be really effective. And I think that, you know, I, I listened well to your interview with Jerry DePoto about the decision that Matt made to, to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. I love it. I love, I love the whole conversation with, with the Mariners saying, hey, if you want to have a chance to start, you've got to be in camp and get stretched out. And no thanks, I'm going to pitch for my country. Like, I, I love that. Like, that's, that's, like, he won me over with that, right? And so when you, when you look at that, I think he's, he's going to arrive to, first of all, he'll be Canada's closer. Um, and we'll see how many games they have to close, depending on how, how well they play. But but he is arriving as as the main the main man with the maple leaf on his jersey and and there's a certain bravado that goes along with that I, I love that about him so I think he'll ride back into camp with a ton of confidence and I think he knows now definitively how good he can be and when you got someone with that kind of stuff to pair up with confidence and if the command is just a grade better than it was a year ago he is a game changing late inning arm. Hey, John, uh, bad news for the Mariners out here. Taylor Trammell breaks a, a bone in his hand. He's going to be out probably anywhere six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. He was going to be part of that platoon in left field, so now you're looking at Kelnick and 35-year-old uh, Pollock coming off a down year. That would seem to me, I felt like the Mariners needed another bat anyway, but does this sort of solidify the fact that they need another bat now with, with Trammell being down? Possibly, and I think that we have to keep in mind that that option of a you know Jerks and Profar is still out there, and and yet I I, I still think, and I know we, we've talked about him a lot, that I would be a little bit reluctant to to sign someone over the top of Kalnick right now. You've already got a platoon partner in Pollock who will be able to handle the tough lefties, so you don't have to worry about Kalnick playing against lefties right now, at least as long as AJ is healthy and in the lineup. I. I think that you you start looking around and how many if if Kelnick can can sort of solidify and really amplify a lot of the adjustments he made late last season with better swing decisions. Remember, he's probably going to get helped by this by the shift and for by the shift not being there. And for someone in Kelnick's case who is very competitive, to say the very least, puts a ton of pressure on himself and works incredibly hard. A little bit more success will be maybe that mental boost that he needs to relax a little bit. It's, it's going to be that sort of positive feedback loop for Jared, I think. And so I think you got to let him play because my, my take on it is if you, if you bring in pro far now, you've probably, you're, you're basically saying to Kelnick that we don't trust you to play every day. That's that's basically what you're saying. And, and he's been around the sport long enough that I think he's earned better than that. You know, his numbers aren't great. I get it. But I, I think that he, he deserves one more legitimate, honest shot to be their guy. And I think that he's got a chance to actually have a pretty good season. Hey, uh, we, uh, we haven't watched a lot of minor league baseball where some of the changes have been going on. But uh, right. what, what, have you, what have you noticed, JP? I mean, is there anything that stood out at that level? that that makes you know anything that you think is maybe being underestimated is how much it's or overestimated as far as the effect that it's going to have at the major league level 
I think two things. Yeah, it's a great question. I think number one, players, I think the vast majority of players, I really believe this, will find that they like it. They may be a little bit reluctant early on, but let's remember what this is doing. You're, if, if done correctly, the game lasts and, and moves more in a better rhythm, and the end result is you're basically getting an extra half hour to 40 minutes of your life back every day. <laughs> so you add that up over, over a week, over a month. Listen, we all love the game. But I, I love baseball more at two and a half hours than I do at three hours and 45 minutes. And so I, I think that that is the way even the players themselves will feel. And if they all get the idea that, wait, wait a minute, hey, like this, these are the rules. We're the best in the world at what we do. Let's adjust. Let's figure this thing out where we've got enough competitive and personal pride to do that. Uh, I think that you'll find that, A, the players like it eventually, and, B, they're good enough at complying with it that they're not going to have all these buzzers and, and violations 55 times a game. We're just, we're just not going to see it. The players are too good. They're, they know what they're doing. And so I, I think that by, you know, there might be some hiccups here and there. I would just say I would ask the players and also the fans, based on what I've seen at the minor league level, to be patient. Give it some time. It's not going to be perfect on day one. But remember back, you know, this is a couple of years ago, Remember when there was this whole issue of, oh, my gosh, Major League Baseball is limiting the number of mound visits that we're going to have. And what and, and because the, the, the rules of baseball were, were codified on stone tablets, we can't ever change them. And when we do, we are all doomed to this horrible fate. When was the last time you ever heard anybody complain about how many mound visits there are in a game? Have they ever? <laughs> I mean, I seem to recall that, that that issue was dealt with and handled really quickly because the players are smart and the coaches are smart. And I, I think that, uh, yes, baseball is a very tradition-bound sport. It's part of the reason why I love it. But we sometimes get in our own way. We sometimes overthink things. And if you tell a world-class pitcher to do something in 15 seconds that he used to do in 25, he can probably find a way to do it, in my opinion. John, let me ask you a question about the Kraken before we let you get out of here. Uh, Post-All-Star break has not been good for them. They've dropped four of five. No. What, what do you see? Is, are they just flat? Is it is it the opposition? What, what do you see that's happening with them post-All-Star break here? They're a good team that I think was, was probably playing a bit above what their underlying numbers suggested they were they should have been for a while. And I think now they've come back to earth a little bit. I think having the, the Beneers injury when it happened, I, I know we've talked a lot about him. He is really important to that team. And obviously he's come back and I, and I get it, but that, that seemed to kind of stifle their momentum a little bit. So if you go back, it was almost the same exact time, the Beneers injury. And, and when, and when the Kraken started to not play, not play at their own level, basically. So they're a team that's going to have to be, in my, in my view, really disciplined in terms of not taking penalties, and they're going to have to really convert their, their power play opportunities because they're not a team, in my view, that has the depth to run two, three, four lines and, and outscore you every night five on five. They, they just don't have – you compare their team and what Boston's running out there in, in Toronto and some of the top teams in the league, the, the Lightning, they just don't have that level of depth. So they're going to have to be really disciplined – they're going to have to really have a, a tremendous power play efficiency level, 
And I think that, that getting Beneers back to what he was be- before the injury, I think, is going to be a key step for them. John, as always, great stuff. We appreciate it. We look forward to the conversation next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Next week I'll be back in the the, uh, the confines of, uh, of the Morosi home studio as opposed to now where I am calling you from the beautiful streets of Dunedin, Florida, the, the jewel of Pinellas County. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, John. All the best, guys. Thanks so Thanks, much. Thanks, JP. There he is. The great John Morosi. We love talking to that guy. <laughs> I don't know where the hell he is. What did he say? Uh, Pen- Penini County? Deneen? Deneen? Penine? Uh, all right. Well, either way, our weekly conversation with our MLB and NHL insider, John Morosi, is presented by Stanford's Restaurant. Are you looking it up? I'm trying to see where he's Yeah, at. yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly what he said. Was it Deneed or Deneen? I don't know. Lefko, you're a Florida guy. Where, yeah. What do you say? Uh, Dunedin. 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 All right. He'll be back in the friendly confines of the Morosi studio next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then we'll get that crystal clear connection. We won't yeah, it's be... a little bit north of, uh, well, it's a little west of Tampa, north of St. Petersburg, and uh, you're right on the water there. It's nice. Is it the, the Blue jewel that he says it is? Have you been there? Yeah, quiet little town. Yeah, a lot of people it, go down there. It looks lovely. I just pulled it up here on wow. uh, okay on the internet machine. And here. it's probably sunny and warm there right now. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Good for him then. <laughs> All right. Our thanks to uh, John Morosi. Like everything else, if you missed any of that conversation, you missed our conversation with Seahawks GM John Schneider, which took place earlier, the debut episode of the John Schneider Show. That's all available for you on the podcast page after the show, Seattle Sports. Dot com. Coming up, Robbie Ray weighs in on one of the biggest questions from the end of the Mariners season. We'll let you hear what he had to say with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to John Morosi, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys missed that conversation, like everything else, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at Seattle Sports. Dot com. So uh, everybody's excited for spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, I saw some video of, of uh, Perry Hill working with Sam Haggerty, working this drill where he was just bouncing a ball off a wall and having it bounce to him and just how he was fielding this ball on right. cement, not even in the grass. All those little things that are just seem like they're so simple, you do them over and over and over and over again. Oh, he's so technical. Like he was just talking about how he had his hands when he feel yeah. the ball and then transition to throwing it and just it was it was an interesting little drill just watching him do that so yeah spring is spring is there and it's sun shining and everything out there we'll be out there before we know it but uh pitchers out there and one of them speaking with brock and salk this morning uh will be robbie ray and uh robbie ray coming over with a lot of hype obviously defending uh cy young award winner and it's part of part of the season he looked like that guy other parts he didn't look like that guy uh, and here he is just talking about overall how he felt the season in totality went for him. Uh, you know, there were some really positive things and then some things that, you know, came to light that were, you know, I felt like I made some adjustments uh, and I felt like I did a really good a good job of making the in-game adjustments and making, you know, mid-season adjustments and really turning some things around. Obviously, earlier in the year, um, I had some trouble. You know, it was like that one inning. It seemed like it always killed me. And... Uh, I felt like, you know, as the, the the season went on, I was able to kind of limit that one inning and, and kind of nail some things down. And um, 
but yeah, I think for overall, you know, it was kind of a year of, you know, just seeing how adaptable I was able to be. Yeah. And it's interesting. He says, you know, talks about that one inning. I feel like that's true for a lot of pitchers. We talked about it with Marco, mm. you know, Marco would have yeah. that one inning where you'd be going, my goodness, they're just, they're hitting everything hard or he's just doesn't look like he's got his command and maybe he gives up a three spot and you're like, Oh boy. And then you look at the end of the game, and he actually, outside of that inning, pitches a good game. And it feels like that's it's not unique to him, I guess is my point. We've seen it with Marco. You've seen it with other starters where, for whatever reason, used to be with Felix. Get him in the first inning. And that's true for a lot of star- starters before they find their rhythm. But there's just this, this vulnerable time where bad things happen, then they find it and, and, and reverse course. But, yeah, he was he was much like what we've seen from other pitchers with that bad inning and then sort of finding your way and scraping it out. That's kind of interesting how he described it, and I'm glad to hear it from him because I guess it kind of seemed like that. Every yeah. once in a while he would have that, that inning and something you're right, we're, we're used to with, with Marco. And Marco always seems to kind of fix it, you know, in the end. But I, I also remember him having a couple of really good games where there was zero offense. Mm-hmm. You know, he he gave up one run. I think did we, didn't he lose a one zero game one time? But you know, it was the second most innings that he's pitched in his career for the season, hundred hundred eighty nine innings. And you know, I just pray for good health for with him because yeah, I feel like he's going to get better. And maybe it's a an adjustment coming to a new team, and you know, all the things. There's lots of stuff that goes off that goes on off the field. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know for. Um, I just remember, you know, <laughs> my poor wife, you know, she we got married and somehow she became pregnant. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we had to move and do all that stuff. And so it kind of distracts you a little bit. So here, uh, you know, he'll he'll go into the season a little bit more settled and, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can get out. I sure like everything that he is about. Yeah, you know, as him, Luis Castillo, just very calm. And I was listening to Pete Woodworth today, and he was saying how I don't ever. He goes, well, if you had the kind of year that Luis Castillo had, you, you were definitely smiling yeah. all the time. But he yeah. said every time he, you know he looked at Luis Castillo, he was he had a big smile on his face. So I'm really, really excited for to see those two guys that are kind of the the stars. You got your up and coming guys with Kirby and Gilbert and Brash, and but uh, I'm I'm really excited to see those two veterans get after it this year yeah he he is his first start i'm looking at his game log from last year he goes seven innings on the road against minnesota gives up just three hits one earned run did have four walks but one run in that game so then they win two to one i mean that was tremendous debut for him mm. then the next game you remember in chicago it was like a torrential down oh, yeah. it was like a it was monsoon terrible. out there and for whatever reason they didn't call the game and he goes six and the third ends up giving up six runs in that game but that's a game we all looked at going, what? It's a mess. Yeah. Why did they not call that? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe early, it was early on, right? It was, it was the very, it was uh, April 13th. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe early on MLB is like, well, we can't start, you know, delaying games and pushing them forward, you know, early on. Maybe that was it. But, yeah, that that seemed the most, that was like the most ridiculous thing I'd, I'd seen in a long time. Yeah, and I, I was trying to find the game you were talking about. He pitched against Boston seven innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, four strikeouts, and lost two to nothing. <laughs> that's that's like Felix Hernandez stuff. Yeah, that's, that's Felix is going. Yeah, I know what that feels like. And then the next two games after that, 
I mean, that was a hell of a run. So that that start, seven innings, no runs. The next game, seven innings, one run. The next game, six innings, one run. The next game, seven innings, no runs. Mm-hmm. That was that was a nice little stretch for him in in the month of June. So, yeah, he had a two one nine ERA for that month. Uh, but yeah, that's probably the game you were thinking of, where he went out there through a gym, didn't yeah. give up a single run, gave you seven innings, and lost. That was very frustrating. Hence, yeah. hence our desire for offense to be added to this yeah. team. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. You, who do you think, as far as like the biggest surprise last year, would it would it have to be Cal Raleigh, especially the way he started, or or was it Julio? I mean, did you? I didn't expect that. Yeah, out I would, of Julio. I would say Julio in that we we. I feel like me. I won't speak for everybody else. I feel like my expectations got sort of uh, colored by what happened with Kelnick. Kelnick came up, ton of hype. This is a baseball prodigy. This guy, what do you see if he rakes? He does this, that, and the other. He goes, it, it just didn't happen for him, especially coming off, uh, you know, it, the, all the hype and everything in that trade and how the Mariners won this trade because Kelnick's a superstar in the making, and he gets sent up, he gets sent back down. He comes up, he gets sent back down. He just never found it. So with Julio, who was even younger, coming up, 21-year-old kid, you're like, all right, I was managing my expectations. Like, yeah, we might see something similar. He comes up, has a rough go, maybe he gets sent back down, and then he gets called back up. And it it started out that way. He he didn't set the world on fire to start start his season, and then he was getting all those bad calls from from the uh, the ump and everything. And it felt like, all right, this might go the way of Kalnick, where it's kind of an up and down until you find your footing. And then for him to, you know, ultimately have the season he had, rookie of the year, he was the star at the home run derby, even though he didn't win it. I mean, he was just, he was everywhere and he was everything you thought he could be and more. So, yeah, I would say that he was, he was the bigger surprise to me, just based on what we had seen from Kelnick the year before, understanding that they're obviously not the same players, but just young guys with all of that attention. It's not fair to expect them to just come in and be, you know, what he ended up being. I don't think that was a realistic expectation. It's a yeah. hope. It's a hope, but not an expectation. Yeah, and his April, uh, I'm looking at, he, he had six home runs, stole nine bases, but, you know, his average was 205 in April. So you're yeah. thinking, oh, okay, then 309 the next month. And, yeah, so I, I agree you, that you were, you were sort of uh, – you had to kind of temper your expectations based on what happened with Kelnick. And, it, and it really, for a guy to come in his rookie year, expect, you know, it didn't really expect him to do that. But then once the All-Star game happened, then you started to expect it. You're like, yeah. okay, this guy's legit. He's for real. He's taken Major League Baseball by storm here with that performance that he had, which he hit more home runs than the guy that beat him, right? It was just that they didn't head-to-head. Yeah. He didn't. So yeah, it was uh, that that part was was kind of disappointing, but uh, it sure was kind of a like everybody started to take notice. But yeah, Cal Cal was was a surprise in that he was just it was such a terrible start hitting 083, yeah, getting sent down, and really the only reason he got called up is because of Murphy's injury. It wasn't that hey he's down there tearing the cover off the That's ball. Right. He got called up. Was it even a week? It was like a week later or something. And you look at the, his season as a whole. He didn't kill. I mean, he hit a bunch of home runs. He hit 27 home runs, but he hit 211 with a 284 on base. Yeah. He didn't rake, but he showed pop, and he was clutch, obviously, in coming up with one of the biggest moments in the history of this organization. So it, it felt like, man, this guy just was ridiculous. It was still a bit of a struggle. Did, did Cal have more home runs than any catcher? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah, that that part. So he was, yeah, he was kind of a big surprise. And I guess Julio, I guess you thought after the All-Star game, well, this is kind of what we expect from him, even though you shouldn't have because, you know, coming in, it's it's difficult at, at his age to do what he did. But it just it makes me think about what who's going to be that guy this year. Yeah. You know, is it going to be Brash? We're hearing all about the legend of Matt Brash is growing. I it's Kelnick. Yeah. <laughs> I would I mean, really that, like it to be That him. would be the best thing that could possibly happen to this team, right? Because now Tramel with the injury, that sets him back. And now you're yeah. kind of going with Kelnick without a, without a net. With Kelnick and 35-year-old Pollock. Yeah. Who's coming off a down year. So I don't, and I don't know how much they really wanted, you know, with Tramel out there. I don't know what Pollock's role was going to be, like how often they wanted him ultimately to be in there. Like what's the ideal? I feel like if they don't bring in another bat, maybe he's going to play more than they really want to play him, unless Kelnick just starts killing it and we'll we'll find out. But, yeah, I think it puts him in kind of an interesting position, to say the least. All right, coming up, which rule change will have the biggest impact on the Mariners this season? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob, live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We've been talking a lot about the baseball rule changes. I think everybody's excited to see exactly what it looks like and how much of an impact it's going to have and which one's the big deal, which one we're not even going to notice. And, and, and uh, you know, the pitchers, I think, are going to be the ones making the adjustment because as we were talking about with John Morosi, baseball players in general are absolute creatures of habit, especially if things are going well. You know, we've you always hear the stories about, I'm going to wear the same socks, I'm going to eat the same food, I'm going to, you know, swing the bat at this exact same time, I'm going to, you know, everything's so superstitious and regimented, and especially pitchers. And we've joked about guys we see that go up to the mound and they've got all these, this little process they go through, Diego Castillo adjusting every bit of clothing on his body before every pitch with nobody on, and Paul Sewald raising the arms and all that, well... Now, with the pitch clock and it being a punitive situation in which if they exceed it, there's going to be a ball added to the count, and, you know, there's a price to pay for, for taking too long out there. He was a guest with Bump and Stacy, and he talked about how he thinks this new pitch clock is going to impact him. For me, it's something that I'm going to have to work on a lot in spring training because, you know, it's one of the slower ones on our team. I'm going to have to shave down that time by about six seconds. So I think it's just going to come second nature. I'll just have to fix a little bit of my routine, figure out what's necessary, what's ne- what's not necessary. Me and Cal are going to have to work quick on the pitch call, and we'll be fine come game time. But it, it is something that I'm probably going to have to work on in spring training games for sure. Six seconds. That's It that seems like a fair amount of time. It doesn't sound you say six seconds. That's gone in the blink of an eye almost, but... You know, when you're when you do your things and you're you're going through your mannerisms and your 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 little rituals, what have you, and you look up at the clock because they said there's going to be a clock on either side that the pitchers will see and then the batters will see. You know, either side of the batter's eye, there'll be clocks. So he might look up. I could see some rush moments maybe early in spring training where they're like, "Oh shoot, I've got I've got seven seconds left. Let's get to the you know what's the call? Okay, let me get into the stretch and mm-hmm. blah blah blah." It, it, it's the timing is going to be interesting to see how they work that out. Do you think we should, uh, for our listeners, uh, do six seconds of radio silence just to see how long? <laughs> they would call it a gift. Are you ready? Go. No, no we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, you know, to the point of one of our texters who didn't put it super nice, but, uh, you know, there's not, like, mayhem going on in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. right? It's not like you're, you're hearing all these complaints and people, you know, 
complaining about the, you know, there's just not enough time. Oh, oh my God. So, yeah, maybe that's just like everything else, that at the end of the year you look back and go, okay, yeah, there was a few times. And, again, speculating uh, like we did at the at the open of the show, talking about, you know, those balls that – are given to those pitchers, is that going to be a separate category? Does it fit into their ERA, their their whip, or anything like yeah. that? Or are they going to keep track of that? I, you know they will. The I'm stat sure. nerds, the sabermetricians, they, they will. I wonder they if, have to. I wonder <laughs> if Son of Augustuson's listening, because if he is, I'd just ask him right here instead of texting him. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think <laughs> about that? Because Brandon pretty much will tell you uh, in pretty much anything you want to know. You know what I would say to that texter who yes. who – as you said, didn't wasn't so nice about the fact that we weren't paying attention to the minor leagues and yeah. understanding what what impact it was having. You know who else wasn't? These players, <laughs> these players, your Mariner players, Paul Seawald, and somebody like Sam Haggerty, who you hear here talking about looking forward to more opportunities uh, to potentially steal bases. Now, yeah. I've been trying to to strategize in my head how how it may play out. You know, with with less pickoffs, you know, you're gonna probably have more of opportunities to, to trust yourself and make a break. Um, and then you'll have larger bases, which, you know, may make it a little easier to slide and, and avoid a tag and, you know, all, all sorts of those little things um, um, I look into and, and I'll factor into to trying to steal second base or third base. So what you're saying, he wasn't paying attention to the sounds, minor leagues. Sounds like he hadn't. What's the matter with him? Speculating what it may be like, sort of mm-hmm. like you and I were, but they do it for a living. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not everybody made a trip down to the minor league parks and uh, and watch what was going on there, and that includes, uh, you know. Well, it's a good counter argument by you, Bob, because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, why is everybody talking talking about it and, you know, speculating on what it's going to be like? You know, he brought up something Haggerty did there where, yeah, you're going to be um, – what a total of three inches closer uh, between first and second and second and third, right? Because it's one and a half all the way around mm-hmm. the edge. Um, so he said bigger base. Like, yeah, it's closer, but like he said, it's also a bigger base. It's a bigger target. So you see every once in a while a guy will, you know, put a hand in there and then do the swim move and yeah. go on the other. So maybe well, the, slide to the outside of the base. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So that he, he brings up a point there that I think is going to be interesting. I think, was it Morosi that said somebody was saying, I think that the bigger base is going to have the least effect. Um, I thought I heard that from somebody, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that was. Uh, well, and that's uh, again, that's just speculation. Right, right. So they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. They, nobody's nobody's certain what what impact it'll have at especially at this level, especially with with the players that that at this level, the best of the best. What is it going to look like with them? Maybe maybe in the minor, maybe in single A and high A, they're they're taking risks or they're doing things they wouldn't do at this level because yeah. obviously the wins and losses mean so much more up here than they do in the minor league system. So it is a completely different dynamic in terms of. Who's who's doing what and what impact it's going to have on the game? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that uh, I'm curious to see the the base dealer Sam Haggerty pretty fast, man. I mean, we talk about Julio. I wonder who wins a race between those two guys. Dylan Moore's pretty fast. You know, maybe they can do some damage on the base pass. So I think that part's going to be exciting. I think the shift, obviously, those are going to be the two things that I think are cool and are going to be fun to watch. The pitch clock thing and all that, I'm not looking forward to that. You're not? No, I, I just I, I think that one's not going to 
I don't, it's probably going to be more annoying. And, you know, I don't know how often it's even going to come up. But uh, to me, the other thing is they're they're more positive, uh, you know, things, the results that you mm-hmm. get. And I feel like yeah, I, I won't if somebody steals a couple bags on on the Mariners, I won't. I won't gripe about the the base being bigger. I think it's just more about what opportunity our team has. And whereas the other one is kind of like punitive, you get in trouble, there's really no upside to it. The upside is you don't get any balls added to your count, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not like that's a huge accomplishment. Like, yeah, we got that. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of, yeah, that part of it doesn't really interest me, and I hope it doesn't get in the way of the game. Yeah, I don't, and maybe they're, They'll allow for mistakes, and all right, we'll adjust. Here's we're putting it out there. We think we've got it refined, but we'll see it in in process, see it in action, and all right, yeah, we got to tweak that, or yeah, all right, let's try this now. Let's yeah. you know. So I'm sure they're allowing for you know mistakes or areas that they can they can shore it up if it needs to be. So yeah. I'm interested in all of it. I, I'm just I'm fascinated by all of it and just seeing. You know, hearing everybody's take on it. Some think it's it's monumental. Some think it's uh, much ado about nothing. We'll find out. I think I think it's going to be great. All right, coming up, you'll get to hear him every Thursday with us all the way up until the NFL draft. John Schneider, you're going to hear him next with us. It's Wyman and Bob live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710.